I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. Okay, today I just finished the interview and I'm doing the intro right after it because it'll be different for everyone. It's going to open your eyes to a new way of thinking. I've never interviewed someone who had these different life, you know, answers. You're going to be in awe of the way he thinks and it is going to make you question things that we've always discussed. I've in the last this is in the 130 episodes. I've never had answers like this. So you are going to very much enjoy this podcast with David. And his name is David H. Green. And he is lives in Israel. And I'm going to read his bio first so you can understand before I get carried away on this high I'm on after this interview. So David H. Green, for over 30 years, David has been teaching topics such as individuality and soul awareness. He has helped his students deal with issues such as loneliness, self-esteem, inner awareness, making major life choices, and how to find your soulmate, and so much more. David spent time in the Hollywood music business as a songwriter at the young age of 16. He then studied music composition in Indiana. University in Blooming in Bloomington. After a lot of questioning, he went to Israel to find himself and a more soulful expression of his music. He found both by learning an array of topics about spiritual growth. Years later, he received his rabbinical ordination while studying at the Mir Yeshiva. David wrote his first book, A Book About You, which helps people find their individuality and soul awareness. Everyone has a different personality and meaningful path to achieve greatness in this world. Meanwhile, he wrote an album called Journey to the Real You. The songs and lyrics are woven throughout his first book with QR codes connecting the reader to the songs being quoted. A big part of knowing who you are is knowing what you are. By knowing that the soul is the most essential part of who you are, it will contribute to the journey to the real you. David's new book, Pictures of Your Soul, takes you back to that basic question and explores the beauty of your soul and how to grow, even from a very low place, should someone be struggling with their spiritual awareness and identity. So that's kind of a little bit about David, but what you're going to learn, we went way over on our interview and I'm, you know, I couldn't help it. I could have kept going. It just, he'll open up different ways of thinking. That's really all I can say. I asked him questions about your soul and he opened up a lot of different doors in my mind. That's all I can say. 
anyway, you're going to enjoy this and David all the way from Israel. So thank you all for following me and telling me that you love the people that are coming and the topics and uh, just trust me, they're getting better. They're, you're going to get, talk about my, you know, your head exploding and thinking, oh my gosh. And then, you know, you listen to these podcasts and if you do what I do, and then you go down, you look it up and on YouTube, and then you look up more at podcasts and you learn, it's just this constant learning in which David talks about in this interview. It's like, we're elevating, we're elevating higher to God. And, you know, we talk about expansion a lot. I've talked about that, about where we're at in this world, but oh, his take on it is so cool. So enjoy this interview. I know you will connect with me on ashleygonner at gmail.com or on my website, ashleygonner.com. Thanks again for being here and enjoy the show. So without further ado, please welcome David Green to the show. Welcome, David. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. And you're coming all the way from Israel, which is amazing. And it's 10 hours ahead of me. Is that correct? 10 hours. Right. 10 hours ahead. You're at 10 o'clock at night and I'm at noon (laughs) Pacific Standard Time. And I tell you, like, I'm not a night person and I really admire you being able to sit here and talk while I'd usually be sleeping. <laughs> well, most musicians are night people. So right. I, you know, that's the, the root of my soul is in as a composer, you know, spending all night working on a project of some sort. So yeah. this is early for me, no problem. Right. <laughs> well, okay. I, okay. I've told you before we hit record that I've really enjoyed learning about you and going down your, you know, all the, the books that you've written, your story your childhood and where you really discovered, I always, to uncover your magic is, I always, when I named the podcast, it was like, everyone has magic, you know, but when do you uncover that? And when I look at David Green, I think like my daughter's 16. And I so I'm listening to you talk about when you were 16, between 16 and 18, and where those were years of like, really discovering, what do I want to do? What's interests me? The music is always interesting me, but you had a a moment there that I'd love for you to go back to and even talk about your mom and when she made you that cup of tea, because that was such a cool metaphor. I love that whole thing, but definitely go to the Grammys and, you know, do that whole thing. Okay, sure. No problem. (laughs) I grew up in Toronto and I was very involved in the music industry. And as a composer at a young age, I really wanted to make it big by the time I was 20. It was like 20 seemed like over the hill to me. And um, I felt like my whole life was sort of compressed within a short period of time because I was like running so fast after some sort of dream of what I wanted to become. And I became very disconnected from myself in that process because it all became very external rather than an internal journey. The external journey was to fulfill this artist personality who did not have to compromise my artistic integrity to make it big in the pop business. That's a very difficult thing to do, you know, it's like be a true artist while appealing to the masses. So that's what I was striving to do. And I was going way too fast. And by the time I was 18, I was in LA recording with like really, really good studio musicians there. And there was an arranger named Gene Page who was doing the production for this album that we were doing out there. And he was nominated for a Grammy 
and he wasn't available to accept it. And he was somewhat amused by what this 18 year old, you know, how's he making it in the business so young and everything like this. And so he said, you know, why don't you go accept my Grammy on my behalf? And I said, wow, that's an amazing opportunity, you know, because when you look successful, then other people think you're successful and they want to meet you mm-hmm. rather than me chasing them. They chase me, you know, so right. I thought, well, what a great opportunity. But what happened was he had me picked up by his limo and I rented a tuxedo and I'm heading down the highway in L.A. And I'm I'm feeling really, really nervous. And I like I'm like praying, even though I didn't really believe in God, I was like praying that he should lose. So I don't have to go up there and be completely embarrassed by making a fool of myself, like forgetting his name or something like this. I was really, really nervous. So thank God he didn't win. But I was invited to this major event afterwards, where all the celebrities went, all the big artists went. And there was one guy there who actually fulfilled that dream that I described of being a true artist who was really successful in the pop market. And when I saw him, he was like, there's my God in front of me. He's like my idol. He's everything I'm striving to be. That's what I'm running so fast. What the, what I've been disconnected from myself, I've been running after being him. And he looked to me very depressed and, and like worn out and, just, just like I was a very unhappy person, not just that he was depressed at the time, but he looked like a very unhappy person. And that I had this flash in my head that why am I running after being him when he doesn't seem to be very happy? I should be running after happiness and use my muses as an expression of that happiness by getting in touch with what's really inside of me. And that realization was not like so clear as I have it now. Now I understand what I was going through, why I had this intuitive sense that I had to make some major changes in my life so that even though it's somewhat calculated, it was, it was, there was this, it's a flash of clarity that I had. I think we all have different times in our lives where we can, these flash of clarity is like a gift from God to us to give us guidance in life. Unfortunately, a lot of people, they don't stop to listen and, and take that message and move in a different direction. It's very scary to move in a different direction. But for me, it, somehow it just like, it was so vivid that I had to turn around and go 180 degrees. And I went back to say, you know what? I've never been a kid. I never went to college, you know, maybe that's part of the growing experience I should go through. So I went to Bloomington, Indiana, where they have a really good music school there and studied music composition for about three and a half years. And I wasn't really fulfilled. It was, it was all about being the artist and, and not being about myself. So I decided that uh, after exploring my, my Jewish identity and my religious identity, that I, I was living a very hypocritical life. On one hand, I wanted to take part in certain rituals. On the other hand, I behaved as if there wasn't anything to, to believe in. And uh, I decided that rather than living on my, on the fence for the rest of my life, I would get up and go to Israel where I could find myself and I went through this incredible process being in an environment where there were so many people who were soul searching and questioning and, and attacking the rabbis in what's called the yeshiva, where I studied 
we, you know, argued with them for hours and we just heard one argument after another to a point where, you know, most of the, the, my friends at the time actually did become observant. And uh, that was a, a process of discovering my religious identity, but it became a process of hearing my inner soul. It became where my music actually started to really shine from having discovered who I really was. And like, there was no better music school than being in Jerusalem in an apartment overlooking the Western Wall, overlooking the Temple Mount and studying and learning about who I was. And my music just threw away all the baggage of having to be this artsy, you know, exception to the rule, unique, everything about art. And it just became an expression of myself and some beautiful, simplified music just came out of me that was, you know, and I had so many gigs. I had a jazz band I played every Saturday night. I started playing on different albums, piano. I've started writing for various educational projects uh, that needed soundtracks to them. And it was just an incredible experience of self-discovery that that ended up fulfilling my dream, what I was running after so much before it was actually transformed into an internal journey that I call Journey to the Real You. And that's the title of my, of, of my um, first album that I put out about eight but years let me, ago. Let me go back here because where I, when you were saying you were praying that you weren't going to be, uh, that was like weird for you because you weren't religious. Right. And then you go to college and there was something in college where you were doing it and then you go to this ditch. And you lay in the ditch. Ah, uh, okay. But I, what yeah. I'm trying to get to, David, is all of a sudden you're like, I'm going to go seek in Israel, my heritage, my Jewish. How do you go from, I don't believe in anything to, you know, now we're into college because that's what you feel like you've missed out on your, you know, like the stages of your life journey because you went straight into music. Where does that pivot come in? I'm by nature a truth seeker. And I took pride in being a, tr a truth seeker. So I used to spend late nights with friends talking philosophy in college. And I remember taking a class in existentialism. And I remember the professor being like really convinced of each of the various philosophers that he, he presented, but they contradicted each other. And I felt like, well, how come he's so convincing about this one? And then he's convincing about the next one and convincing. I just want to know which one's true. I'm not, but he was, he was a great teacher, a very animated teacher, but there's got to be something that's real behind all this stuff. And I found myself in looking in the way I expressed myself that in many ways I acted as if there's no God in the world. In many ways, I was very bothered. Like when I went to the services on Yom Kippur and on campus, they played cello on stage for the Yom Kippur services. And where I grew up, that wasn't allowed. You know, you don't play musical instruments on Yom Kippur. And I was bothered and I left. And I'm, and then I like had this sort of insight, like, why am I, I bothered by the cello, but I'm not bothered by my other behavior that is contradiction to my religious identity. And I felt myself living on the fence. And there's no place that's more 
uncomfortable than living on the fence because you're always torn apart by voices going in different directions. And I felt that I needed to resolve like what I believed in so I could either go one way or the other way, but not live on the fence because I just wanted what's called inner peace. And when we say hello to someone in Hebrew, it's shalom, which means peace. And what kind of peace are we talking about? Inner peace, where the body and the soul are speaking the same language, where you're not being drawn in many different directions at the same time, but rather the voices inside are actually agreeing to work together. That's inner peace. So when I was in college, I had no inner peace. I was just flying all over the place. And Thank God I knew that I needed to work this out and it got me on a plane and and that's what took me to Israel. Wow. Okay. So you get to Israel. There's some person in a that was doing a report that there is no God. Right. I have a friend who's he was like the first one to become religious. He did a thesis in college, there is no God. And that made it easier for all of us to ask the questions because he had all the arguments against it. So we just watched him ask questions and the rabbis would knock down one of one at a time, all these various arguments that were part of his thesis. So we had uh, that advantage of having seen the classic arguments being refuted. Hmm. So that gave us all that reinforcement for us to continue the journey. What brought you to the ditch? What's that story? Oh, that was when I, I was co- in college and so much was going on and so much pressure to be this this unique artist and just feeling somewhat disconnected and everything. I, I wanted to get away from everything. And it wasn't a flight to Israel, but it was a place where I felt somehow connected to myself. And I went into this park at night where there was a ditch in the park. And I would lie in the ditch and just feel myself as being part of the earth and part of something much bigger. And my ego was allowed to escape and my worries were allowed to escape and various demands on me academically, musically, you know, just in terms of performances and all the things that that created tension in my life just sort of dissipated as I lied there feeling like I was one with the earth. And I didn't understand what that meant at the time. Now, of course, it's feeling connected to God. It's connected to the unity of God. The whole world is ultimately one. And I felt myself actually living the verses. It talks about us coming from dust of the earth and returning to dust of the earth. That's how life is. We come from just a drop and then we turn eventually into dust of the earth. So that is something that I think I was experiencing back then in that ditch. But only now do I understand what that really was. Wow. Yeah. That, you know, when, when I, so I, I'm a mother and I know you have eight children and 16 grandchildren. And, you know, when I was listening and learning about you, I thought, gosh, you know, I always believe that children pick you, you know, pick the parents. And I'm like, those kids were so smart. They picked David, <laughs> eight of them, <laughs> you know, like, cause I look at my life. If I found you when I was a teenager and understood my soul, and understood like, you know, I want to definitely get, we need to get into the soul because I talk about that a lot on this podcast. And when I start to go down this trail with you and explaining the divine soul and animal soul, there's so many different descriptions for people to understand what a soul is and how you 
make decisions, you know, from the toothpaste tube. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm looking at the, you know, you describing something because I really want you to go into this because my husband's the kind of guy that has to have the toothpaste all the way to the top perfect, you know, yeah. when you're explaining that part of that personality of the soul. Right. And I'm the one that's like, oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's but interesting. After, yeah. but go, Because you know, you're it's usually the person who gets up early in the morning, which you say you are, you're a morning person. Usually that's the person who squeezes the toothpaste from the bottom up. They're oh, very funny. organized and very have what's called gigavura, which is inner strength to be able to get yourself out of bed, go to the gym, open up the office door, turn on the coffee machine. That's all that type of personality. So it's a very interesting thing that that huh. you're more more the one to squeeze in the middle. We got to figure yeah. you out here. Yeah, that, you're right because everything you just said. I get up, I get my workout in. I have, I'm like, I can open the office. You know, the right. whole thing. I'm all there, and I almost yeah. feel behind if I slept in a little bit. I feel kind of discombobulated. <laughs> Let's start with the soul because you divide it into two parts: divine and right. animal. Everything that you're you're talking about now is from my book pictures of your soul, right? So that's more a book about the anatomy of the soul and understanding how it's made up and what the advantage of that process of reading the book is. It's almost like it's, if somebody were to tell you about someone they know, but you never met them, it'd be very hard to develop a relationship with them because all you're doing is hearing about them. But if you actually have a real relationship that's you can connect to, so it becomes very real. And so we think of the soul as being, you know, soul music, soul food. It's, it's sort of like this abstract thing. But the more we read and learn about what the soul is, then we can look inside and say, that soul isn't a stranger anymore. You start to actually feel connected because you're learning about what's going on inside. Sort of like when you're learning about physical anatomy, if you know what's really going on inside your body, it's an amazing thing to think of this fantastic machine that's going on all the time. And you can be in awe of that. Well, we should be in awe of the soul as well, because this is what's our life source. It's, it's, it's the essence of who we are. So the basic anatomy of the soul is that we have really two souls. One is what's called the divine soul. And that is precious, pure. It's not affected by the mistakes we make in our life. It's actually the basis for true self-esteem by knowing that you have a divine soul that is actually perfect. It's made in the image of God. And it's, it's a beautiful essence of who you are. And that's something to try to constantly be aware of because you have no right to criticize yourself. I have a class that I, that I teach called, I'm such a jerk, the art of self-destruction. Mm-hmm. Because we have laws in, in Judaism about that we're not allowed to speak negatively about other people. And um, people think, well, that's right about other people, but I can knock myself down and say I'm such a jerk. But no, j- the reason why you can't insult other people is because you're insulting God's creation. Mm. Right. He created that creation. You have no right to criticize. You have no idea what challenges that person may be going through, what they went through growing up. Maybe they were abused or whatever it may be that causes them to behave in a way that you don't like. It's not your place to be criticizing them. And they have a divine soul, just like you have a divine soul. So if you look in within yourself and you know that there is this precious jewel there, 
So then you can, or you would say magic there, right? There's this precious magic that's always shining inside. So that's a critical part of who you are. But we're not put in this world to be angels. Angels have no free will. And they're actually on a lower level than humans because they don't have free will. And what we have is a physical body with what's called an animal soul in it. And an animal soul functions very much like an animal. And an animal needs its physical body to do all kinds of good things, right? I need a horse in order to get to the place where I can do a positive act to help another person. The horse, that animal, is doing a very positive thing. But if I'm the rider of the horse and I'm in control, that's great. But if the horse takes control, then I'm I'm out of control. I'm going to go only after very beastly type of desires. And I won't have a sense of fulfilling my ultimate divine you know, purpose in this world. Because the animal side is there to try to take me off course. And by choosing to put it back on course, then I'm elevating the animal as well. I'm lifting the physical body. And that's why in Judaism, there's so much emphasis on what we call the commandments that are involving physical things, right? We have a Shabbat meal, which has, uh, we have to have bread and wine and the best food that we collect throughout the week should be on the Sabbath because we're elevating the physical world through spirituality. So too, when a, a couple are together intimately, So that's considered like the holy of holies, right? A healthy sexual relationship with my wife is considered a very holy thing because I'm taking the physical and I'm elevating it through the relationship, which is very, very much encouraged and and needs to be bonded through that relationship. And therefore, the animal part of us is very good if we are in control of it and using it in the right way. Otherwise, it takes us off course. And this idea that there's the divine soul and the animal soul are like two kings that have are battling over your body to try to win territory, you know. So what we have to do is we have to be strong and learn what I call spiritual self-defense, which mm-hmm. is learning all the various voices of the animal soul and identifying them right away and learning how to respond to them. And developing that sense of dignity by allowing the divine soul to be the thing that is in control rather than the animal soul. Right. You know, you talked about the karate kid as an example of spiritual defense. Yeah. And that that kind of would help people understand because, you know, when I was thinking of the animal and the divine, because I had never heard that before. And I have dogs and you're talking about some, I was listening to something like, because I always think they're little souls and I look at their eyes and I'm thinking they're on their journey. Is it, you know, the spiritual defense, you're not fighting. It's not like the ego versus, but how do you describe that karate kid is like doing that? Well, the karate kid is, he's like washing a car. There's one scene in there, he's washing a car and he doesn't understand why he's being told to wash this car. But what he's actually doing is he's developing like one move at a time, developing a sensitivity, a, an ability to respond 
by having one move at a time. But what happens is that's an equivalent to a punch, let's say, right? Like you have to learn how to punch in a studio, you know, often with mirrors there so you can see how your motion is and make sure that you get that punch really, really good and practice it over a million times until you own that punch, right? And then you learn how to kick. And then the kick you have to learn by doing it over and over again until you own that kick. And then you start connecting modules where you have punch, block, kick. And you do that over and over again. And that becomes then your like vocabulary of self-defense. It's there for you. You can't wait till you're in a dark alley and someone's attacking you and say, well, what, what did my teacher teach me in karate class? You know, there's no time for that. It has to become a part of you. And so our development spiritually is doing the same thing where we have to develop our response to the animal soul by building the modules, so to speak, to be able to know. I'll use an example that's more relatable. If somebody's on a diet, right? So they know that if they pass by an ice cream store, they're going to be very, very tempted to go in and start the diet the next day instead, right? Right. So that person should know that that's their vulnerability. So if they're going to walk to an appointment that's about three or four blocks away, they have a choice to go the shorter route, which has the ice cream store, or a longer route, but they won't be tempted by it. So a true strong person is somebody who says, you know what, right from the beginning, I know to go the the longer route, because that way I won't be pulled into the ice cream store. In our lives, we rationalize all kinds of things that we know are not good for us from a spiritual standpoint. They're not good for us. And yet we allow ourselves to rationalize, to go do them. And we get pulled in and we fall. And then we say, well, how did I fall? Well, you allowed yourself to fall because you didn't use your spiritual self-defense by knowing the moves that have to be implemented in order to protect yourself from that type of fall. Right. Yeah, I love that. When you you were talking about primary colors, that there's three primary colors. Is that part of the same book? That's from a book about you. And, and okay. a book about you is, is about individuality and spiritual awareness. And when I first was becoming religious, I was very concerned, like my artsy side was speaking out saying, hey, you got to be careful because all these people are doing the same thing, right? There's so many people and they're all fulfilling these commandments and and it seems like their lives are now all dedicated to being the same but as i started learning deeper i actually discovered it's the exact opposite that god did didn't create any two souls the same and just like we have two different fingerprints so too we have two different soul prints we are different beings and dramatically different and everybody has a different personality and everybody has a different mission to achieve in this world. So from Kabbalistic learnings, I learned that there are three primary personalities, and those are based on the biblical forefathers of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And each one of them expressed one of these divine attributes in the world of what's one is called chesed, gevurah, and tiferet. Chesed is kindness and love and giving and giving, much like the sun, which just has endless giving of light. 
And then you have Gvura, which is more like the moon, which is the reciprocal of that light. It receives it, and it's more the, the feminine attribute. The man is the one who gives over to the woman, and woman takes that and develops it and turns it into a, a baby. And over you know nine months of pregnancy, a man can understand what a woman goes through. But that incredible amount of investment into making that initial chesed into something that comes alive is a tremendous amount of discipline. That's the person who wakes up early in the morning and can get out of bed and go turn on the coffee machine or go to the gym and, and, and knows how to say no and, and is very good at spiritual karate very naturally. And then Tiferet is more the mind that assesses situations that c- looks for balance between chesed side and the gavura side and is able to make more objective choices but their choices are much more based in the mind and that's why you can have like if they're an extreme version of that would become a nerd because they're all in the mind and sort of disconnected from themselves emotionally that's only when they become too extreme but the positive expression of that is that they have and it's not that they're smarter but they're more mind-based they're more intellectual based like albert einstein apparently used to go on a boat and in upstate new york and they used to have to go find him because he lost no pun intended, all sense of relativity, right? He, <laughs> right? he lost his way because his mind was so busy thinking about ideas, abstract concepts that he didn't know where he was. And mm-hmm. so that, that the Tiferet personality is so in the mind that can become a disconnect from the world. So we know how great the mind is and how people who are very intellectual can contribute so much. But we have to also be careful with all of these personalities. Somebody who's a Gavura personality goes overboard, becomes extremely demanding, and, and they, they lose a sense of, of the emotional realm. So each of them have their positive and negative attributes. And we have to develop the positive and learn to build ourselves so we don't fall to the negative ones. And it all comes from a balance. Really inside of us, we have a world. And that world stands on three things. It says in the, in the, in the ethics of our fathers. And those three things are related to Chesigvur and Tiferes, which means each one of us should have all three. But by knowing which is your dominant personality, that enables you to grab that, enable you to express yourself from a place that's really who you really are. You know, it, there's many shades after that, but that begins the process of self-discovery. You used to teach at an all-girls school. I remember listening to that. And, you know, I have an 11th grader, so we're kind of at the beginning of phase of like, you know, thinking of college. And, you know, and when I went to college, it was, I graduated, I'm 53, so in in the 80s. And then it was like, oh, I guess I need to go to college. But I didn't have David Green to say, these are what you should be doing. <laughs> so tell me, so like even with your children, I mean, you had eight and did you have this, did you sit with each one and figure out how they were going to go, you know, to take the next step in their journey? Yeah, they probably were sick of it. So, <laughs> so much. They were? Oh, uh, funny. Uh, well, because what happens is um, at our home, we invite guests over all the time for the Sabbath meals and they stay overnight and until the 25 hours later. And so they really become like part of our family and they ask so many questions and we always get into these discussions about personality. Oh yeah. What kind of personality do you think I am? And, and my kids have heard it over and over again and they have very naturally 
discover themselves and how unique they are from each other. And my wife and I make a point of constantly building them. Parenting is building self-esteem as far as I'm concerned, but self-esteem based on the reality of who they are, not just by coaching. Like I used to race, ski race, and the, the coach used to say, green, you're going to do it. You're going to make it. You're going to be the first one down that hill. Da, 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 da. And you hear, then he says it over to Brown. There's, there's some other guys, coaches telling him the same thing. So why am I going to be the one who wins if his coach thinks he's going to win, right? Because that's all relative coaching. There's no basis that's absolute. But if you know that you're a divine soul, as we discussed before, and you know that that divine soul has a beautiful, unique qualities that no one else has. So then you naturally develop a sense of inner searching and discovering who you are at a younger age. And unfortunately, especially in today's world where our phones have become our constant source of input of information, people have become addicted to their phones and is drowning out the inner voice that needs to be heard. One of the beautiful things on Sabbath is we're not allowed to touch our phones. They're electronic devices that are forbidden to us. So we end up becoming sort of like clearing our minds of all the the physicality, externality that is distracting us and focus inwards and elevate ourselves through that process. So I, I think in raising kids that allowing them to do that, not pushing it down their throats, but rather letting them express who they really are And if they're not the way you wanted them to be or that you thought they should be, they're going to feel that, right? You don't want to project on them, you know, like the pressure of having to be a doctor or a lawyer when they grow up. You want them to discover what they want to do. And they may become more like you want them to do if you're not the one telling them what they should be. It's their inner voice that they have to hear and the encouragement. And also, if you think they're going in a dangerous direction, you have to know how to sit them down. Well, I used to take my, my sons when I lived in Toronto. I used to go out for breakfast at a, you know, and have eggs at the breakfast together. And we would talk about like, how are we going to grow this week? You know, like it was like oh, very yeah. open discussion about personal growth. And I try to take private time with each of my kids and go somewhere like in here in, in Israel. We live in an area called Beit Shemesh, which has beautiful mountains around it. And I take one kid at a time and I go to the top of the mountain overlooking the view and we just it just sets the tone for a heart-to-heart conversations where they open up and they they know this is a what we call an Abba time Abba's father it's a father time to just sit and talk and we've learned to do that at home where they'll come into my um, our room and you know, it's a, one of my sons, the one who just got married, he always came in the room when I had to talk to him about something really important about his life. And he would just like lie down on the bed and sort of cover his face with the pillow. And mm-hmm. that meant he was really listening, oh, <laughs> even though cute. it looked like the opposite. That right. meant he was really listening. And we had to develop a relationship where we could sh- share like that. And that's something that you have to earn. It's not something you can just flick a switch and then expect to have that type of quality relationship. But my main point is that the more positive, uh, accepting, loving, open to their views in life, the more that kind of healthy sharing, then the more you're actually going to influence them because they'll trust is coming from somebody who understands them and and uh, really wants the best for them. Right. I love that so much. You know, I 
my two girls, watching the, the interest them, listening, being that person like you're explaining. And there's no plan. It's just, let's see where your passions lead you, what interests you. And it's like, and it's so fun to talk and we have great conversations in the car. And, you know, I just cherished those moments of them discovering something that lit them up and they didn't realize that something like that would light them up. And we're speaking of that and I'm looking at your, your candle, but there's so much more I want to get into this real you project about the candle and the soul and how you, it's a, you know, you're looking within, you're, you do a selfie. It's a picture on the cover of your book. It's right. a selfie of the candle looking at you and you're looking at a candle flame. Right. Because that's based on Proverbs. It says that, that the soul of man is the candle of God. Right. And a candle is very similar in terms of it's, it's the way it operates to the soul. Because the, the candle is connected to a physical wick. And the candle, on the other hand, the flame wants to keep rising. And it almost looks like it's unhappy. It doesn't want to stay connected. It wants to leave and go up to a higher place. So the wick is there and keeps it down. And God created that candle in a way where it won't escape unless it's extinguished. But it's not going to rise up and leave the wick. Same thing with our soul is connected to the body, which is the wick of that flame. And it's constantly rising up our soul. That divine soul always wants to reconnect with the creator. But the creator says, no, you're not here to connect to me in an ultimate way yet. You have a life to live and you're supposed to connect to the physicality and use the physicality and lift yourself up and lift up the physicality together. And that's the the candle waits until when we finally pass away to actually go up without the body and reunite with the creator. Right. What is the purpose of the soul then? What, why do we choose to come into this body? We don't actually make the choice. God makes that choice for us, but he, he makes the choice so that we're given the opportunity to elevate the soul. The way we elevate the soul is by working together as a partner with the body, like the animal soul, as they described before, that by making those choices, it's sort of like, I'll describe to you a scenario of two different types of experiences, and you'll see the difference in terms of what we're trying to achieve. Let's say somebody is sitting down to a really good burger from their favorite burger place. And, you know, when the burger comes out and it's sizzling still and, you know, it's ready to eat and it's already, you've already told them all the toppings to put on it and you are excited about that burger and you bite into that burger and you enjoy the flavor of that burger and it's a fantastic physical experience. But what happens while you're, while you're doing that, you heard somebody else outside that was choking and you put down that burger and you run outside and you do the Heimlich maneuver on them and you save that person's life. Now, 10 years later, if you think back on which is going to be a more memorable experience, the burger or saving the person's life, there's no comparison because you can still feel the pleasure of something which is spiritual. Saving a person's life has an eternal effect. It's something that you did that's spiritual. So when you live in this world and you do activities that are connected to the soul, they live on, they accumulate in your soul and elevate your soul, and they go with you into the next world as well. 
So it's, it, you can't do that like an angel. The angels are stagnant, but we are able to lift ourselves up. So by being put into the body, we're given the opportunity to elevate the soul itself, which is the essence of who you are. So every lifetime we come in that God chooses us to, tells us to go in or puts us in a body, we grow our soul. And that's our main mission is why we are in this body to grow it. Once we die, that soul has expanded because of being in this body. Right. It's been elevated, hopefully, by our activities. uh, Right. And it's now a more, when it goes to the next world, it'll experience the spirituality on a much higher level because it's sort of like if you are used to light, right, then when you go to a place of greater light, you can open your eyes and not be blinded by it. Right. So the more you actually connect yourself to spirituality in this world, when they move to the next world, you're ready for it. It's not too bright for you. So the more you elevate yourself here, that really means becoming attached to your spiritual essence. Sort of the opposite. When God created the world, he shined a very bright light into this world, but he had to put it through filters. And those attributes of chesed, gvur, and tiferet that I described are actually those filters that bring the light to a darker level. And that's like putting on sunglasses. And when you put sunglasses on, you actually see more, not less. So the filter is actually enabling you to tolerate a higher intensity of light. So similarly, when we are in this world and we live a life that's more spiritual, then we move to the next, which is very bright. We don't have to squint our eyes to enjoy that spirituality. We're actually elevated into a place where it's a natural place for us to go and we can enjoy it much more. Where is that world? Where is that world that you're talking about? Well, it's, it's hard to say a destination, a location. We say higher. We don't mean physically higher. We mean that it's a place that is experientially closer to God. It's experientially. God is everywhere. So it's not like even though the flame is going up, that's only signifies up in spirituality, not in physicality, because God is one. And therefore, it means that we are going to be in a place where the blindness of this world where it's very hard to see God in this world, where most people don't actually open themselves up to seeing God in this world. When that shade, that blindness is lifted, so that means you're closer to God. You are closer because you are able to experience God in a greater light. That's when he will be more revealed, so to speak. But in this world, it's a place of darkness. And uh, we have to light up that darkness. And we have to try to not let the physical world block us from experiencing our spiritual entity, the identity that's inside of us, that soul that needs to shine. And um, once a person has decided that's what they want to do with their life, then they it's a, it's a fantastic journey because you get to utilize all the various challenges in life as a spiritual experience. Things that seem like negative experiences actually have tremendous positive potential within them. Not allowing, you know, people to, to destroy you in itself is a choice that you're allowing your divine soul to be what defines you, not what other people may look at you and, and look negatively on you. And so all these things that seem mundane actually embedded within them are the opportunities to elevate ourselves. Right. So our soul, as it elevates, as you say, 
are we coming back and do you believe in keep coming and back into these human bodies and are we always coming back to earth and no we reincarnation yes we very much believe in reincarnation but reincarnation is actually an opportunity for somebody who didn't elevate themselves enough in their life and god is giving us the kindness of letting us come back down again and hopefully make the right choices and elevate ourselves uh, now that doesn't mean that the second time you come into this world you have to achieve more than you did the first time it could be that that if someone dies at a very young age and because they only had a small amount to repair and they were able to do that within a short period of time and the people who love them needed to go through some sort of process of mourning and that their souls needed that it's all orchestrated based on exactly what each of us need and what and when i say us each of our souls ultimately need so if the soul has already been through an, enough of a cleansing and enough of a uplifting process in this world it may not have to come back down again and they would never be is it they're elevated so high that they're just what is the soul's job then at that level they're not angels so are they guiding other people that are are they a soul guide the souls are in a world of souls which is a temporary place eventually what will happen it was what we call the end of days when in messianic times we're actually going to have what's called the revival of the dead which is a time when we actually will be put back in our bodies but the body will be holy as well like it was in the gar- garden of eden the body of adam and eve were very very holy it's only after the sin that we drop to a level of confusion of being in a place of darkness so once we return back to the garden of eden we'll be in a very elevated state with both the body and the soul so there is a destiny that's not fulfilled yet for those people who passed away it's sort of on on hold or they come back in this world to live more you know to elevate the soul more but it's a beautiful place the world of souls but it's not the world to come it's the world of souls which is a temporary place until the world actually reaches its destination which we pray for all the time should be soon right but with all the you know i feel like we're going through from 2020 to just you know we're almost 3 years past that the 2020 awakening do you feel like we're getting closer to that garden of eden do you believe yes. that yes i believe because our sages teach us that the six days of creation correspond each with a thousand years from the creation of man and we're now in the hebrew calendar we're in the last the end part of that sixth day and the seventh day which is the sabbath is also the sabbath of the millennia and therefore we are about to approach the sabbath of time which is the seventh day the seventh millennium so we're in the 6000s now therefore we're approaching the end of that and therefore we are definitely moving towards that and many things that are going on in the world are described in the prophets to be very much like it is today and there's been a tremendous descent in spiritual awareness and values and um that's described to be something that will happen at the end of days 
So as, although it's sort of a bleak view on the world, it's also a positive sign that we're actually approaching the end when, when things will actually be transformed to a completely different level. There may be a lot of wars and things like that that take place and nuclear wars are, are all part of that picture because the prophets describe a time where it could, it could be all on a positive level or it could be in a negative level. But the way the world's working right now and the amount of hate there is, uh, you know, and polarity and moral dissent were definitely more like the time of the flood, like the generation of Noah in the time of the flood. That's when the world was destroyed. And we have a, we're at a place now where, you know, there's all incredible, beautiful people in this world and everybody has the potential to be incredible. But right now, a lot of people aren't fulfilling that potential. And what's going to make that become more universal? When you talked earlier about there's so many people living in these human bodies that don't believe in a soul or they don't live in that place that you know, how many percentage of people that are living like you or I that really see life the way we do. And there's so many people that are, you know, down here that are, I don't want to say down, but, you know, live in anger and, you know, anxiety and, you know, fear and all that. When we get to the Garden of Eden, we're getting closer to that. But how long is it going to take these other people to open up? They're going to have to keep coming down and and, and then and expanding their soul or what is it? What well, is that, David? We can never take away free will from people. Free will is a gift, but free will also gives you the opportunity to make bad choices. So a person may be deprived of a spiritual world because when I say deprived of a spiritual world, a spiritual life, they're being deprived of because they've chosen to go in the opposite direction. And many people have, and there's a lot of social pressure in the world to go in the opposite direction. So you can't sort of twist somebody's arm and force them to choose a more spiritual path. Right. That's something they have to choose on their own. Although God judges very favorably. For example, when you say anger, anxiety, those are things which are part of a package of somebody who has been put into a family that's dysfunctional. Someone who's, they never chose to be in that family and therefore they're victims of being in that family and they are brought up with no relationship with their parents or have been abused or emotionally abused or whatever it is that the environment they've been brought up in could be the reason why they are so disconnected. And one of the things I write in my book, Pictures of Your Soul, is a whole methodology of how to go from that very dark place. If you light a very small candle in a dark place, it can light up the whole room. Mm -hmm. And we have to know that we we're all suffering from various influences of the world around us. But there is a, a little flame as long as that person starts to look up and starts to to want spirituality, then God feeds it to them and accelerates the process for them. So we just have to help other people, not preach to them, but to give them some glimpse of light. And, you know, we do that a lot by having the guests over to our house on the Sabbath. And it opens their eyes to, wow, there's a different way of living. And it's not by you know, hitting them and 
trying to shove our opinions down their throat, but it's about just setting an example and hopefully inspiring others to grow as well. Right. When you say the person that didn't choose the anger, choose those parents to experience that pain, but you don't think that the soul chooses that family? No. The soul soul doesn't choose that. The soul is completely navigated by God. God sets up the challenge for that soul in this world. The soul did not choose to come into that family. The soul would be crazy to choose to go to a place which is so dark, right? It's God's doing. And then a person has to accept that, well, God put me into this situation. And even though my neighbor may have grown up in a healthy home and is now flying and doing all these incredible things, they may be just passing the threshold of their life challenges because God made it so easy for them, they are expected to be able to achieve all these great things. We're someone who grew up in a very dark place. So then any light that they bring in is a tremendous accomplishment. And God looks at it from what their challenge was, not from the, the destination they reach, right? It's not how high you climb on the ladder. It's how much you have put the effort to move forward. For example, my kids have ADHD, right? So they're challenged by that in school. And we don't expect the ones that do to be as academically inclined as the others, right? Right. You know, I have kids who are extremely academic and I have those who are not. So do I judge them because he's not doing well in school? No, because he's born with that challenge. So when I see he's working hard and any progress they make is considered an incredible thing because they're actually fighting through that challenge. So same thing as God puts us into a family that's very, very difficult. So he's not going to look at say, well, why didn't you achieve what this other person achieved? No, you achieved in greater things perhaps because you did it from that place of darkness and you lift yourself up. And that's all his design. It's not, it's not ours. That's his design. So you're the first person on this show that has explained it that way. And so when you explain God chooses, he's in charge of all of our souls. Orchestrator. He's the orchestrator. So he's putting me in this family with my mom and dad and my sisters. And he has the intention of what I'm supposed to learn by putting me there. Right. He is giving you the opportunity to make the right choices and the wrong choices. And he loves you. So he wants you to make the right choices, but he can't make you make the right choices. Otherwise, that won't be your choice if he makes you do it. So therefore, he gives you the opportunity and he gives you various hints along the way, like I had when I was at the Grammys, right? That was a hint along the way to tell me to turn around and go in a different direction. And we all have those hints, but we can do better than that. We can, if we take interest in growing, then the world opens up for us. You know, it's, it's, it's just the fact that you're asking these questions means you want to grow. You want to help other people grow. And that in itself has, has enabled you to see so much more than if you were just a person like following the patterns of everybody else around you. 
It's only when you actually start a searching process on a more conscious level that there's tremendous amount of resources out there. There's great books to read. There's tons and tons of videos online of people who are very educated that can help you grow and grow. And that's just a matter of making that choice and and working on yourself, developing your spiritual karate techniques, you know, all that put together will, will make a person elevate themselves from wherever they started. Uh, they can continue that process from there. Wow. But you honor the ending of this amazing hour with you that goes so fast. Describe what the Garden of Eden is going to look like in your mind. Well, the Garden of Eden is looks like it was when it, when God created it in the first place. We were kicked out of there because we needed to go, do what's called a tikkun, which is a repairing of the soul that was necessary. And that we the, before that we didn't have to work for a living. The garden was was all everything was available to us. Even the they, they say that the the bark of the tree tasted like the fruit itself. There was everything was completely prepared for us. And the soul was able to glean incredible light from our, the surroundings we were in and therefore was constantly elevating and experiencing godliness. That's the Garden of Eden that we will be moving back to, a place of tremendous spiritual bliss. But it's not in this like autopilot place where we just are bored with all this just spirituality. It's real spirituality is never boring. It's an experience of the soul being fueled with what it really loves the most and it's constantly it's it's like a, a, a the relationship between a man and a woman where god created adam and eve that became like the opportunity to feel selfless love and that selfless love is something that can constantly grow and grow and grow you don't say well we got there so there what are we going to do now no, it's right. something spiritual and it can, therefore it's always being provided for us. So similarly, the spirituality in the Garden of Eden will be always, well, we won't go, well, what now? No, there's always more and more and more to glean from that experience. Right. Oh, I love that. Oh, David, you've been just such a diff, I just I really enjoyed it. You thank know, you. it's like, thank you for reaching out to me. And it's, I know there's always, there's no coincidences. And I know that you came into my life at this time for a reason for me to grow even more. But what would be one thing that you really wanted to, would want to, you know, that I didn't ask you or that you would really want to share today before we end and tell everybody how to find you? Well, I highly recommend people to read my books because like the, a book about you, I spent about 30 years teaching over that material to real people. And I have, years of experiencing watching people grow and finding their spirituality and finding a much happier way of life. And my goal is to try to help other people find that happier way of life. So if people read it and take the time to absorb the ideas, I believe it can transform their lives as it has for many others in the past. And same thing with my new book, Pictures of Your Soul. It's like I like I mentioned before, like if you read it, you start becoming familiar with your essence of who you really are, then you start looking at the world from a spiritual standpoint, right? If you know you're a soul, now you're a soul looking at that beautiful sunset. It's a very different experience if you know what you are, not just who you are. Yes. So 
it's a very important part of your whole perspective on life. Everything transforms when you actually feel that connection to, who, you know, the fact that you are a soul going through whatever maze you're supposed to in this world. Right. With you and your wife, I know I'm, I'm going to go on to this. I just wanted this, something came into my mind in your relationship. And, you know, you have your eight children and your grandchildren and your growth of your relationship. You know, she's different than you. I was listening to you talk about her. She's not creative. You're, she's, you know, it's just fun because you grow together. You have different ideas and you explain that and how you feed that relationship. What is your, you know, like marriage well, or relationship? What really makes the marriage work, and I believe this applies, you know, to all marriages is that, and also businesses applies as well. If you, if you are different from each other, that's great, you know, because you're both contributing to building something. Now, what is that something? That's the thing that has to be the same. You have to have the same vision of where you're trying to go in life. Mm -hmm. The same vision of what type of family you're building. If you have a commonality in terms of the vision, what's the target? Then now I appreciate that my wife, who's a chesed personality, and I'm a tiferet personality, that she's providing me and my kids and our neighbors with something that I can't provide them with. So now I appreciate her, not feel threatened by her differences, but fat, rather I welcome them because we as a partnership need both what I have to offer and what she has to offer. And therefore, the key is to have that vision above you. You know, in businesses, you find there's a tremendous team spirit when everybody's clear on what the goal is, right? right? So that team spirit in a marriage is the vision of what you are trying to create. And that's what the dating experience is like in, in a religious world where you're not supposed to have a physical relationship yet. It's where you're investing in making sure that your vision of life is the same vision as the person you're dating. And there's got to be the chemistry and the attraction and the emotional connection, intellectual connection. But then you actually rise above that and say, well, what's our spiritual vision of where we're going? And if the spiritual vision where you're going is there, the rest of it will fall into place much more because you're working together for that common vision. And therefore, it's elevating. It's a spiritual connection that you're developing, not just an emotional one. It's spiritual because it's something above us, not something just within us. It's something that only together can we get there. So with you and and your wife, did God put you two together or was it your free will that led you to your wife? How does that look? The making of a match in the religious world is considered like the most difficult thing. It says like nothing's difficult for God, but to appreciate the value of a husband and wife coming together, our sages teach us that every time he puts a, a couple together, it's more difficult than the splitting of the sea. Oh, wow. It's an incredible thing that he does so such a high level of taking two people and putting them together, that that's considered like an incredible accomplishment. And therefore we believe very much that God put us together. Now, the problem is that sometimes, yes, free will is there. A person's ego, a person's insecurity, 
sometimes people choose somebody who is like their father, who wasn't a very nice person because that's their place of comfort. So they choose someone who's not good for them. God didn't put them together. That person made a mistake and chose somebody based on a weakness that they had. And that's why there's divorce in the world. There's sometimes like there's a whole tractate in the Talmud about divorce because there's sometimes where that's the best thing to do because there was a wrong match made before. So there is people do make mistakes and hopefully learn from those mistakes and then find the right one in the right time. But it's not a mistake, right? It's, isn't it just a growth? Isn't it a an, an elevation well, in their soul? It depends. Like if a person, let's say a person was very attracted to a woman, but his attraction was, he felt a lot of pride at showing her off to his friends, right? There was an impure motive there. So that impure motive made him decide that this is the one for him. But that's an impure motive. So therefore, there can be mistakes within the realm of where a person's ego gets in the way or insecurities get in the way. So there are times when people do put themselves in a relationship they shouldn't have chosen to do. Now, any situation where we make mistakes, we always try to learn from them, including a bad marriage. A person should learn from that and hopefully not make the same mistake. Unfortunately, I've seen many people who are divorcee types, like they've been divorced over and over again. They can't seem to learn the lesson from the first time. And it happens over and over again. It's a, they should stop and say, you know what? I have to reevaluate who I am and how I look at relationships and maybe repair some of the damage that was done as a kid, whatever it may be. But there's choices to be made. And um, hopefully people can sort of purify who they are and go into a healthy relationship as well. In the future. Right. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, to find you, it's David okay. H. Green. And then the website. David H. Green is where you find my music. Right. Which I haven't talked much we about. We haven't even but, talked about your music, which is yeah, amazing. Yeah. And it's part of your my, book. And you. Okay. Right. It's, my music is integrated with my books. All the titles of my songs, they're all songs about personal growth. And that's just, just go on Spotify or Apple Music or wherever you you do your streaming and look up David H. Green and then two albums will show up of my songs. And they're all integrated with the books with QR codes. So you can, if you have the book, you, you scan it and it'll start playing the music. But for the rest of my content, you go to realuproject.com. That's realuproject, all spelled out, .com. Not the real but just realuproject.com. Right. I've it all wrong, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that's where you can preview the books and uh, do a personality test, actually, online, where you will get how much chesed, gvura, and tiferet you are by answering these questions. I'd be curious to see what you come out. Well, I tried to do it, but it didn't work. It was, it oh, you have an me. iPhone? Uh, yeah. And you have to turn cookies off. Allow cookies, even if you normally don't, you turn the security level down because it's using cookies and then you can change it back uh, up again after. Okay. Cause it was, I wanted yeah. that so bad. I'm like, shoot, I really <laughs> wanted to know that. So that's, it'll tell me my personality. Yeah. I'll be excited yeah. to see that. Cause yeah. Cause if I'm supposed to roll the toothpaste to the top, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> still be the yeah. person that I am. Right. Okay. Oh, it's so fun. Oh, loved it. Thank you, David. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You're so welcome. 
Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, always look for the magic.